APADA acknowledges the custodians and elders past and present of the land on which we work, practice, rehearse, perform and present across Australia. We pay respect to the cultural authority and traditions of the land. The first peoples of this nation express their culture through music, dance and storytelling. And it is a privilege to continue that tradition of storytelling and performance in this country. We acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the first Australians and traditional custodians of the lands where we live, learn and work. Eleanor Lambrinos is a dance educator, a dance researcher. She runs Dance Domain in Sydney's Inner West and is the founder of Disrupt Dance and the Disrupt Dance Summit. With a BA in Sociology and Gender Studies, a Masters in Cultural Studies exploring dance at the intersection of style, identity and belonging, and a PhD in the Sociology of Education exploring children's dance classes, Eleanor is on a mission to disrupt dance and inspire dance educators to think about dance done different. Welcome, Eleanor. How are you? Hi there. I am good, thank you. Thanks so much for having me on today. Thank you. Now you're in New South Wales. How are you going in the lockdown? I am. I'm well. I'm coming from um, Gadigal land. So this is work that is uh, land that is unceded and I very much teach, live, profit off this land. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Um, like um, the rest of Sydney at the moment, we are currently deep in lockdown with our end looking quite far away, but that's okay. You know, we've gotten through it last year and we'll do it again. So, that's you know, right. dancers, we're flexible, we adapt. <laughs> and right now we're going to take a step back from all of that and look at your achievements and your journey. And so what we'd like to do is find out a little bit more about your background and where you're from. So tell us about your childhood and where you grew up. Um, so I grew up in um, uh, in the western suburbs. I grew up in a suburb called Marylands, which is just near Parramatta, um, and uh, spent a lot of time in school there and even a little bit further out west as well. Um, went to school, a uh, high school in Penrith. Um, and so, yeah, very much a, a westy kid, definitely <laughs> deep down. My mum is Italian, my dad is Greek, and my mum came here when she was quite young, about two, and my dad um, came at about, I think, in his uh, mid-teens um, yep. during that sort of, I guess, nation-building time for Australia. So he came over as a builder, and that's, um, you know, with with nothing with and um, yeah. no English um, and just made his way. Um, and so I guess for me... It's something that I've been thinking about a lot recently, but that migrant work ethic has really framed how how I operate in the world in some really good ways and also some um, quite um, some ways that I'm very much un unpacking at the moment, um, yeah. just in terms of that relationship of like, you must work hard, you must do this because, you know, my parents and their parents have sacrificed everything to get us yeah. an education, to do well, so that we don't have to go through what they did. Yeah, and that um, means you have to excel, especially when you're going to university and school. And Absolutely. It was such a big thing for them. And I know it was like a massive point of pride as well. Mm. Um, but then that has a lot of... Um, it has a lot of weight and baggage to it as well, especially because um, there's no one there that I can associate, that I can chat about these things with. They don't understand. I don't even have the words uh, because we come from um, both Greek and Italian. I didn't mm. learn both languages as well. Also, because that generation and that migrant as, as well was big on assimilation. You yes. learn, you're Australian, you learn English, yeah. you're not going to speak it at home. So you can have the best chance and not have to go through what we went through. Um, but yeah, so I don't even have the words to, you know, tell my nonna what I, what a PhD is. I can tell her roughly, but 
it, it, it doesn't sort of, um, I guess, account for those things, which, which yeah. has a little bit of weight. Um, do you feel like you need to learn Italian and, and Greek? Do you know what? So I speak really bad conversational Italian. So my um, my mum's side of the family, the my nonna, nonna, tia, they were here in Australia, whereas my dad's side, the more immediate were back in Greece and extended yeah. family were here. So I, I guess I'm much closer with the Italian side to speak that more. Mm. Um, but as my dad gets older, you, you can tell that he's starting, you know, it's something that I feel it. Yeah, they miss it and he's going to need it as well. And, you know, they mm. defer back to their original language. And yeah. it's something that I've been processing a lot recently and I'm not there yet at all. But it's almost like a grief over lost culture mm. in some ways. There yeah. are just so many practices. Um, my mum my passed away in my early 20s. So there goes that. There's yeah. some little things, you know, even like making sauce and like different recipes and things like that. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot that I'm, yeah, coming to terms with now in terms yeah. of what I don't have, but then also what might stop with me. And yes. yeah, that's something that I'm still processing. And yeah, I, I don't have a resolve for that at all. And I don't think yeah. it will be. When did you get into performing arts? Um, I guess my um, my journey with performing arts is a little bit of a, a different one um, and probably not, not the best one, to be very honest. Um, I think it was one of those things where I always wanted to dance and I always, you know, I loved dancing, singing, acting, that whole thing. Um, and I tried dance so many times as a young kid, like as a little four-year-old, again, you know, eight, nine, ten, and then again, you know, 12, 13. Um, but the thing is I, I tried so many places and I never stayed and, I wanted to dance and I kept getting drawn back into it, um, but I never really felt like I belonged and I never really felt like it was something I could be successful at or even like I was being acknowledged or valued. Um, and so some of my best um, sort of dance experiences were definitely through my schools rather than like my actual primary and public schools and high schools rather than the dance schools that I went to. Okay. Um, well, tell, yeah. us about, tell us about those good times that you had. Um, so I guess, so I went to, um, I went to Penrith High School, which is a selective school. And, um, you know, when you sign up for sport as a kid, um, I was like, oh, you know, there's dance as a sport. Great. I'm going to take that option. And then we found out that there was actually no dance teacher and it was just, you know, you separate yourselves into groups and you just, you know, take a boom box with a CD player in it. Um, and you go yeah. into a room and you just make up your own dances. And we used to put that towards festivals and so it was also, it was very self-managed. Um, we were pretty much given creative lead from, you know, grade seven onwards. And when I look back today, I realized that it actually makes so much sense why I'm in the position I'm in now. You know, we were teaching ourselves, we were making up our own dances. So. Yeah, that sounds, um, yeah, I've never heard that. And if I had that at my school, I would have been in that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Always making up dances at that age. You want that freedom to just yeah. explore and do something without having that, um, telling you to be one way, one thing and one look. Absolutely. And, I mean, it's very much a testament to the lack of funding in the arts in the public school system. Um, but, you know, we made it our own and um, I made a lot of good friends through that as well. Yeah. So um, from Penrith High School, where did you go from there? Because you went to university. 
Yeah. Um, so my university trip was a little bit circular. Um, I started with a Bachelor of Arts at University of Sydney. Um, and then after a year or two, my mum got super um, sick. So I um, left um, uni to look after her. I did a little bit of time at UNSW studying a dance education degree there. Um, mm -hmm. And that didn't mesh quite well with me either. I ended up returning to Sydney Uni to finish my arts degree. Um, and really found that sort of dance scholarship was where my heart lie, you know, do, um, things like uh, gender studies and sociology. And just uh, thinking about those things through a dance lens was really interesting to me. Yeah. And that's sort of gone into um, how did you, well, when did you, from when you're in high school and dancing, did you continue dancing into the university while you're studying cultural studies and gender studies? Absolutely. So um, Sydney University has a really lively uh, society uh, system um, and there is a society there, the Movement and Dance Society, MADSOC for short. Um, and so we did a lot of work through them. Um, they run their own classes for essentially free for members, um, but again, run by members. Um, amazing dance opportunities. I spent some time there as the president of that society as well. And then all the way through my master's and into my PhD was doing things with them, putting on productions. Um, and a lot of the teachers that teach with me now and some of my best friends are, you know, people that we met through there. You know, dance creates those bonds that last a lifetime. Yeah. Um, when, during that journey in, in university or did it formulate beforehand that you started thinking that you wanted to talk about doing dance differently? Yeah, I've, I've thought about this a few times and I can't actually pinpoint that exact time. It's almost like my entire life has sort of been leading to this thing. You know, those experiences that I had as a child where I didn't feel like I belonged, I didn't feel like I was part of something, like dance kept pushing me away. Over the years, all those sort of um, experiences crystallised into instead of me thinking that I was the problem, you know, it started to make me think that actually maybe how we do dance is the problem and it's, and it's not me. Um, yeah. Maybe I'm not the only one. And it's, I guess the more work that I do now with Disrupt Dance and the more vocal I am about my experiences uh, and my views on dance and what it could be, um, the more I realise that it's actually a very shared um, experience for a lot of people, which is... Yeah kind of sucky but it's kind of nice to know that you're not alone in it well that's the thing is that once you talk about your experience you understand that um it does actually resonate uh, across the board for a lot of people um in your tedx talk uh where you say you're not a dancer you're a dance educator um you talk about um, that whole experience of not feeling welcome in dance and um I guess that too, that is a point that you want to make different in your dance education, especially with dance domain and, and especially with Disrupt Dance. Tell us about um, how you've decided to um, start Disrupt Dance, like separately to um, dance domain. When did you get into that journey where you want to really advocate and, and make a change in dance educators' minds? Absolutely. Um, so for me, um, dance domain is my home. It's um, I also think about it as my lab. It's the place where I test my ideas. Um, and during my PhD, it had a big role in you know whether these things are actually practical. For me, um, I you know grow, I'm the first person in my family to go to university. My dad didn't even go to high school. Um, so you know this is you know kind of those first steps 
in terms of my family and I didn't even know what a PhD was when I started it. Um, so for me, I never wanted to be an academic. I've Being on the ground and practical was really, really important to me. Mm-hmm. So for me, if I think about, you know, the work that I do at the studio and the impact that has, has in the community, you know, it's doing amazing things, it's doing great things for students. Um, you know, I feel like I never identify as a dancer, but to have my students identify themselves as dancers when they do not fit that typical, you know, stereotype is just the best thing to me. But then I started thinking, well, you know, my impact is only so big, you know, you know, a studio is very much um, situated, you know, geographically, it's only going to reach so far. So for me, I was thinking I'm doing this research, I want it to be practical, I want it to be used, I don't want it to sit in an ivory tower. So it's all about, you know, now it's Now we've got to disseminate it. We've got to get it out there and we need to get it used. And so Disrupt Dance for me is a way to put those years of research to work, but also just to, um, it's also to get, bring other people to the front as well. So it's not just what I think and what I've researched. It's identifying the fact that dance is social, it's cultural, and there are so many things going on and so many different opinions that really need to be valued and brought to the front. Yeah, and that's what you are doing right now with the Disrupt Dance Summit, which is on in September virtually. So anyone can get on from across the world and meet these wonderful presenters that you have. So tell us who you've got and and what you're going to be discussing and what they're going to be presenting. Yeah, so the Disrupt Dance Summit for me is kind of, um, it's the conference that I always wanted to attend, but it was Mm -hmm. never there. Um, It's a much more holistic focus on dance education. Um, I often find a lot of the thing, the professional development opportunities for dance educators are either very, very focused on business um, and they kind of ignore the fact that they're in the business of teaching dance. So like we should be focusing on the teaching. Um, we need to be thinking about it in terms of its social context, cultural, political, historical context. And I also sort of realized that, you know, I'm big on professional development and lifelong learning, but I was, mm. I'm kind of always hearing from the same people, the same voices, the same perspectives and problem progress doesn't really come from this sameness. It comes from disruption and hearing from different people and different ideas. Um, So for me, the summit is really about that, um, getting a chance to listen, to learn. I mean, I'm going to be sitting there taking notes wildly. We have some amazing speakers. Um, we have Fumi Somahara, who's doing a session on inclusive dance nutrition. Will Centurion is doing work on mental health toolkit for teachers, which is so important. I mean, all the time, but right now, especially. Um, the amazing Terry Wayside is going to be talking about fostering self-esteem in younger dancers. Uh, Katrina Cahaya is talking about adaptive perfectionism. I'll be tuning into that one for sure. <laughs> um, Nicole Perry is talking about disrupting power dynamics, which I'm really excited about because this entire year, um, a lot of the things at our studio that we've been popping up, we're always sort of coming back to how power is distributed in the dance class and how we're trying to disrupt those that hierarchical power flow. Um, we also have Jenna Han talking about behavior management strategy, strategies, uh, Catherine Hutchinson talking about ballet, body image and positive self-talk. And Alice Weber is doing an amazing um, session on an af- a feminist approach to point work as well. Um, so there's lots there. Um, and it's all basically um, the theme that I put out for this year was expanding the notion of safe dance. 
Because I think all too often when dance educators um, and institutions talk about safe dance, it just gets talked, you know, about in terms of the physical safety. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, are we warming up? How are we preventing injuries? What floor are we using? But safe dance really is so much bigger than that. Um, And so I'm really excited to listen to all these people talk about how we can expand our notion of what actual safety in dance looks like and what it can be. Yeah, it sounds amazing and does sound like you're really running the gamut of these different approaches and how to um, think about dance, especially for dance educators. Um, been reading through um, and and waiting to see who's the next presenter because we're waiting to see that. So it's good to hop on your Facebook page and know what's coming up next with your next presenter and who that's going to be. So it's a little bit exciting. And um, the pricing is great. I think it's going to be a great thing for teachers to hop on to. Um, what top piece of advice do you have for lovers of dance? Um, so maybe make it, what would you say to, or how do you approach a kid when they come into your class? What's what's their experience for the day when they're first coming in for the first time? When they're first coming in for the first time, um, I really just make it about them and their experience, it's their choice. Um, especially when someone comes into a new space, if they've never done dance before, you've got a new environment, new people, new rules and ways of interacting. So for me, it's always do what you feel comfortable with in that setting. Um, You know, it's your choice. If you want to participate straight away, it's your choice what participation looks like. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that participation can appear and manifest in very different ways. Mm. Um, And for me, above all, it's about enjoyment and authenticity to self. You know, if this is what your dance interaction wants to be, then that that's fine. It's not about what I think dance should be. Yeah. If you don't want to dance at the moment, you just want to stand there or you want to sit, that's how it's going to be. And you're involved. You're still there. And just let's just keep going and you can get up when you want to get up. That sounds great. That's, yeah. What advice would you give to teachers? Would you say that this is something they definitely should hop on to and have a look at the Disrupt Dance Summit? and learn some new strategies and ways of thinking and their approach? Um, for teachers, and I would actually, um, I do this with my students as well, is to um, to not accept tradition um, just because mm-hmm. that's how it's always been done, um, is to always ask why. And I think that um, comes across in everything I do in my teaching, at the studio, um, everything in Disrupt Dance, you know, why do I do this thing this way? Why am I thinking this way? Why do I value this more than this other thing? Um, so asking why and being curious, I think is one of the most important things we can do as, as people. Yeah. Um, what is, well, who have been the mentors or teachers that have inspired you along the way and whether they inspire you for good or the opposite, they've been those people that you've decided, I don't want to be anything like you, I'm going to be totally different or who has inspired you along your way, even in academics, who who are your mentors and teachers? Absolutely. Um, I think it's so interesting that you you posit that question in that way because I find in dance that's often one of the most common things from dance educators. Um, Some of the most progressive, amazing dance educators that I know have all had terrible experiences and they've used that as a I don't want to be. Um, So I think that's a bit of a um, wider commentary on our industry, I guess. Um, So, I mean, I've had those experiences myself. Um, 
At the moment, there's I have um, some amazing colleagues that I've met through uh, uni that do wonderful work um, in yep. terms of supporting me that are just further on in their academic careers and help me out in that side of things. Um, oh, my gosh, it's such a hard question because how do you limit that? I think, do you know what it is for me? The studio that I have, we have such an incredible community. So I have an amazing team around me, amazing students, amazing parents. And I think a lot of the times when we think about a mentor, we think about one person and I just don't, I don't operate that way. I have amazing friends, um, Kathy, that I can think of off the top of my head. She helps me a lot with business sides of things. I have yep. Sarah who helps me out with, you know, um, more academic sides of things, but then even my students, parents at my studio, they're all there and we all sort of give to each other and I take so much from them. I think when you're a creative, you do, um, you, it's the people around you, your peers and those people that lift you up in your immediate vicinity and that you work with all the time. They're your, they're your mentors for now and they're in your heart now and, and your soul. And that's, that's just just how it is when you're a creative person you're bouncing absolutely off. it's a lot more collaborative yeah. um even my um my amazing team we're always constantly feeding in with each other um and then i guess even though technically you know i'm the director i'm the leader um i don't see it that way and i'm always learning so much uh from them and they really have helped me get to where i am today yeah so what is your big dream for disrupt dance i mean it's pretty big at the moment. It's it's going to be great. Where do you want to take it? Where do you want to see your mission heading? Um, for me, I guess it's like it's a little bit two pronged. I guess I, it's I want people to really acknowledge and value the importance of dance education and everything that goes on there. Um, I think dance education when, when people think about the arts. Dance is often at the you know bottom of bottom rung of the arts, and then if we were to zoom into their dance education, is you know bam at the bottom of that. And I really think that's just an absolute travesty that that's how it's considered. So it would be yeah, just raising the importance of dance education, and also just to get lots of people to make tiny little changes to how they think about, see, do, mm. and teach dance because. When we do that, we will be able to open up participation, belonging and success in dance. And that's really my goal. Yeah. Well, are you ready for five fast facts? Oh, look, ready as I'll ever be. It's going to be a little bit (laughs) how this is going to go. Okay, we'll give it a shot. (laughs) Okay, number one, book that changed your life. Oh my gosh. Um, oh my God, I'm not doing well. Oh my God, do I, I'm just going to say Harry Potter. Okay, yes. Uh, favorite and Harry Potter, to be very specific, Order of the Phoenix. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Favorite family dish? Um, my nonna's finished already, Cotta Ravioli. Mm. Movie you can re- recite word for word? Breakfast Club. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been Breakfast Club or Empire Strikes Back. It's like oh, an even split. Yeah. Mine's Breakfast Club or Calamity Jane. Oh, nice. Best dance moment in a musical or movie? Best, uh, oh, um, oh my gosh, that's too hard. Um, Should I say movie? Best dance yeah. moment in a movie? Is that short? You know what? Let's go musical just because you can't go plus cell block tango. Oh, <laughs> I just watched um, a local high school uh, do their production of Chicago and it was amazing. So, okay, next one. What's your go-to self-care? 
walks with my dog. Beautiful. And what's your dog's name? Saint. Lovely. Elena, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, Everyone, if you're not looking at what's happening with Disrupt Dance Summit, I don't know what you're doing. Uh, We're going to be promoting it and we hope to see you all there. Um, Love your work. Congratulations and best of luck during lockdown. And let's see you in September. Kick butt with the Disrupt Dance Summit, Elena. Thank you. Thank you so much.